Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! oh the the horror. horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, or follow to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. You can also check out our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Catch season one, season two, catch up on season three, get up current, mm-hmm. connect to our social media accounts and presence. Mm-hmm. You can even donate if you like. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, that's in the show notes on yeah. our Linktree uh, link. Man, I nailed it. You did. I nailed the intro. I'm so proud of you. After last week. Yeah. That uh, crash and burn. Where you just looked at me. I'm like, horror, supernatural, downright creepy. (laughs) And then you were like, oh, yeah, there's more words to say. Well, here we are late at night, later than usual. Yeah. And that's because I had to finish the book. <laughs> and man, what a what a fucking book, book. it is, boy. Holy, we're not going to waste any time here. No. Season 3, episode 116, The Man, The Myth. I am not giving him legendary no. status. L. Ron Hubbard. I think he's the reason we have the saying this fucking guy. <laughs> Because this holy, fucking guy. Holy, man. I Look, if you're a Scientology fan, I'm going to preface it with this. Because here's the thing. We did the Scientology episode before. Yeah. And we decided, you know what? It's too, it's too much. It's, it's too so big. It's too much. You know, so we're going to break it apart. And this yeah. is the only time we've tilted our hand with episodes coming down the pike. Yeah. So we had Scientology for first, and then we were like, let's do kind of a chronological deal. So we're doing L. Ron Hubbard today. Mm-hmm. Later on, we're mm-hmm. going to do the Sea Org. Yep. Later on, we're going to do Fair Game. I think we do the bridge, and then we and, do or, Fair yeah, Game. Yeah, and the bridge and Fair Game. So we're chopping it up into pieces like that. Now, if you're in Scientology and you're like, hey, it works, you don't understand, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I'm even willing to give a little benefit of the doubt that, yeah, it may work. Mm-hmm. It might have worked for you. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people doing it. Mm-hmm. It had to have some effect on mm-hmm. it. And that's what we kind of get into in the Scientology episode. Mm-hmm. And we'll get in more with this with L. Ron Hubbard. Is the fact that he took all of this stuff that was kind of common sense that you should have probably freaking figured Already out known, yeah. on, on your own. But what have you, you're where you're at in your life. Um, And then he morphed it into, like, he invented it. He bastardized a bunch of stuff and presented it like it was all original and came from him. No, exactly. These, you know, a lot of these tactics they were using, because I took that intro course Mm -hmm. online, and I I took a couple of other courses. Yeah, you got a certificate. I got a badge or a certificate or whatever. And it's all, you know, I was telling you, it's like it's all common sense. It all gets into Mm -hmm. there. That's not our problem with Scientology. No. It's this stuff that we're going to start talking about now, getting into the hooks. Yeah. This is our problem with Scientology. And if you're in Scientology and you can't accept this or even more, you're okay with it. It's the, it's the eggs that got to be broken to make Mm -hmm. the omelet. Mm -hmm. Got a bit of a problem with that. 
Yeah. Really, really do. So sources, we cornered pretty much on a book that I can't recommend high enough. And yes. that's Barefaced Messiah, The True Story of L. Ron Hubbard by Russell Miller. Correct. Amazing book. And I believe it was Mike Rinder who recommended the book. It's not a... I believe he he's he's referenced it. I think uh, yeah. he was on Mike Rowe's podcast and Mike referenced it. Um, and I believe he referenced it on the, the fair game podcast, but he also references it in his, uh, book a billion years. Yeah. And it's not a new book. No, no, No. it's an old book. It's an old book. And really it's the, uh, it's like the biographer's version of this guy's life. Yeah. And the reason it's necessary is because this guy lied about About everything. everything. Unreal. The only thing he didn't lie about was his name. Yeah. And his birthday. Yeah, his hair color. Well, he couldn't lie about and, it. You know. Fucking right there. Yeah. It, it It is amazing, the lies. Yeah. That this guy. And he lied about things that he didn't even need to lie about. No. Like, there was no reason. But then I, I took a step back because I, I. Well, you blew, have to. I blew through it. And what frustrated me when I was reading the book, and it's not the author's fault, it's my fault, because when I'm reading, I'm in the story. Mm-hmm. And he had this tendency to list out a bunch of things at the beginning of a chapter. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, that's not so bad. And then at the end of it, he'd be like, psych, or too bad none of it happened. And I'm like, then why are no, you giving it to me? That's I the get point. It. Like I that, get to it. me, that was the brilliance of the book. Yeah. As you and would read To and... me, I was frustrated because yeah. I was like all in. Mm-hmm. It's your watch. It's my watch <laughs> that my boss got me. But I mean, he he lied about all of these weird and random things. And I get that he was a creative kid. Like he oh, yeah. he was he yeah. had been creating games and stories and plays the entire time he was growing up. Mm-hmm. So then my my outlook at it was, okay, this is a guy who's writing a story for his life. Yeah. So he's just rewriting sort of. his history to jazz it up how he wanted it. Sort of. You see, this is I, I was curious as to how we were going to pull this episode off mm-hmm. because – you can't really do a biography on something that was entirely made up. Like everything's made up about right. the guy. And here's There's the-, the chronicles of his life of what he did versus yes. what he said he did. Yeah. But like to go back and forth on that, that would be a four episode podcast to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was like, definitely we'll try to go through this chronologically. Yes. It's tough. Yeah. But. You know, I'm apologizing in advance if we just go on the rant in some areas. Because there's it's no just way not to. possible yeah. not to. Yeah. You know, but what you have here is, I think, a person who was a child their whole life. Yes. Just a complete child. Yeah. He's just immature. He just yeah. never matured. Never matured. No. Got his own way one way or another. And oh. then once he got into this legendary status with mm-hmm. Scientology... The problem was, is he was a, a victim of his own creation. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is this guy loved to be the center of everything. Yeah. 
And that's where the lies would come in. Yeah. Because he's going to make up shit just to keep your attention to be into you. Right, yeah. That's his crux. Yeah. That was his sin, yeah. so to speak, was attention. Yes. You know, and, and just not having humility. Yeah, no, he's you know. 100% an It was all whore. about him. Yeah. yeah. All about him. Yeah. 24-7, mm-hmm. all about him. Mm-hmm. Even in his earlier days as a kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a guy who claimed he was a PhD, claimed he invented the Air Force. Yeah. Awarded 21 or like, or like 27, like, combat medals in Service World medals. War II. Yeah. As a Navy lieutenant. And, like... He, he didn't even finish school. No. Like, he didn't even finish high school. He needed tutoring yeah. after that. Yep. And then they tried to get him into college, and his mom's writing to him, like, look. Yeah. You got to do this. Yeah. Like, you got to go to school. You need this. You need to do your school work. Yeah. Read your school books. Yeah, pay write attention. Write your school assignments. And didn't do no. any of that. No. Didn't do a single thing of it. And then everybody's like, well, he's a PhD. Yeah, a chiropractor from yeah. L.A., Gave him gave him an honorary an honorary PhD. PhD. He didn't earn jack shit. shit. Yeah, and even he er- no. I'll take it back. He did earn a glider license that he was yes! able to keep for one year. For one year. One year. Yeah. That's it. That's the only thing that he ever did. Yeah. Well, and he wrote the sci-fi stories for well, the. Well, yeah. Pulp I mean, he wrote stuff. he wrote his you know, stories, yeah. but. Big fucking no. deal. No, I mean, you know, the whole writing part of it with the sci-fi stories and all that, that was yes. real. All the shit that he wrote about Scientology. Yeah. That's real. He wrote all yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, combining it all up. Yeah. But you even had, like, reading in that biography was amazing because you had testimony of people. Yes. And that's the thing. You could sit there and say, oh, well, that book's all lies. It's full of sources. Oh, yeah. It's yes. pages, and pages and pages and pages. He of sources. sourced it because he had to. He had because to. Because of the church. Yeah. But he meticulously cited and sourced everything. Yeah. You, and the reason why he had to do it is because everything written and approved by the church all were his lies. Yeah. So none of it was true. Like, yeah. as far as his service record, this guy actually researched and he's like okay what is his service record and they provided it and this is what happens when you get a group of people that just take somebody for their word and of course when this was small talking to you explorer club yeah when this is small when it's a little group of people and they're like well i just love his stories he's harmful he isn't gonna hurt anybody and then it just just like started Moving and moving right, and moving. So let's get into this. Yeah, why not? Lafayette Ronald Hubbard was born at one minute past two a.m. on March thirteenth, nineteen eleven. Dude, you could have been born on the twelfth if if you had just been a little bit more excited. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only child of Harry Ross Hubbard and May Waterbury. And he was the first grandchild of Leif Lafayette and Ida Waterbury, who doted on him and, dare say, spoiled him fucking rotten. Even his aunties all seemed enamored with him. And May's family and her little family um, were in Oklahoma at the time when she informed her family that her husband, whom she referred to as Hub, had a new job in Montana. So Hub 
and May and little Ron are headed off to Montana. So her fa- her family's like, eh, why don't we tag along and follow them? And this happens like throughout their life. Yeah. Like these guys tag along. So Leif et al. found a home within walking distance of May and Hub and little Ron. And the Waterberries were pleased to be able to see their grandson daily. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. So there was a story where... Leif was walking down the street with Ron, and he introduces Ron to the mayor. Now, he's also walking with one of his other daughters. Goes through this whole big spiel about introducing Ron to the mayor and never says a word about his biological daughter. Yeah. Right fucking there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Ron had this ability to test the patience of his mother with, um, like, nonsensical words and phrases so on one particular day, he had come up with the word escabital, and his mother had warned him not to say it again, because if he does, she's going to wash his mouth out with soap. So he screamed it at her. She scooped him up, took him outside, and started washing his mouth out with soap, only to have her sisters hold her down and wash her mouth out with soap because she had the audacity to discipline their nephew slash her son. Yeah. And this kid saw it. Now imagine yeah. what kind of impression that would have. Oh, I don't on, know. This kid was a toddler. Yeah. Like it could only appear to him that he could literally do no wrong. Yeah. He's like, everybody thinks I'm the fucking shit. Yeah. Everybody believes everything I say. Everybody. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. So the Hubbards and the Waterberries would follow each other around the U.S., um, even working together at points. And in 1917, Ron was enrolled in kindergarten at Central School, and he was walked there by his aunties as they were attending the high school. And Ron would claim that in kindergarten, he used to lumberjack fight, which he learned from his grandfather, to deal with a gang of bullies terrorizing children on their way to and from school. However, a schoolmate of Ron's, Andrew Richardson, has zero recollection of Ron protecting anyone from bullies. He said, quote, he never protected nobody. It was all bullshit. Old Hubbard was the greatest con artist who ever lived, end quote. That's from kindergarten. Yeah. A kindergarten classmate is like, that guy's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we're just getting started. <laughs> no, there's just so much to go. So April 6, 1917, the U.S. declared war on Germany, and Ron's father, Hub, being a form, former uh, Navy man, felt that it was his duty as an ex-serviceman to re-enlist and not wait for a draft to be called to fight. Yeah. So at which point, six-year-old Ron and his mom moved in with her parents, the Waterburys, into the home that they called the old brick, and he had the undivided attention of his adoring grandparents, his mother, and his aunties. And to say this kid was spoiled would truly be an understatement. It really would, yeah. And on October 13th, 1918, his father was honorably discharged from the U.S. Navy Reserve Force and the very next day appointed assistant paymaster with the rank of ensign, and he was going to make a career in the Navy, as he told his wife. So May and Ron were still staying with her family when she purchased a plot of land in the foothills of the mountains about two hours walk from the family home and paid a local carpenter to put up a raw pine shack. 
of which there were two rooms inside with a long covered front porch. And they named it the Old Homestead. And they went there, the whole family, on weekends and holidays, you know, bringing food and drink to last the duration of their stay, drawing water from a well on a nearby property. And the children loved the homestead for the pleasure of being in the mountains, playing games, panning for gold, picking wildflowers, cooking by campfire, and huddling around an old lamp telling stories. Now, just a hard stop for a second. Doesn't that sound idyllic? Like, you're... You're playing games, you're running around in the mountains, you're picking flowers, you're cooking, you know, pretending like you are actually homesteading. You think that would actually be something you'd want to brag about, exactly. right? Exactly. Why wouldn't why wouldn't you make that part of your story? Why yeah. wouldn't you make that part of your personal history? I know why. Why? Because this is a better story. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard's grandfather was a wealthy rancher who owned a quarter of Montana. That's yeah. according to L. Ron. Yeah. Because that that wasn't enough, yeah. what you just explained. Yes, no. So so his grandfather was actually a small-time veterinarian, yes. um, and he supplemented his income renting horses and buggies. Yes. But that that wasn't enough. Yes. You know, also, he could ride a, a full-grown horse by the age of three. Yeah. Yep. Even yep, though yep, that's yep. literally physically impossible. But well, and don't forget the cowboys, the frontiersmen, and no. the Indian medicine man. Oh, the Blackfoot tribe. Yes! At age five, he became a blood brother of, of the Blackfoot tribe. Yes. No, he did not. He didn't do any of that. No, the Blackfoots have denied all knowledge of Elrond. However, Hubbard. This... and in fact, they don't even use a blood brother ceremony. Like no, they just don't. No, have they don't it. do any no, of the things no. he said they did. Yeah. But this story is actually featured in his book, The Buckskin Brigade. Yes. Yes. So, this. Piece of shit, one hundred percent believed his drivel. Like, oh yeah, he believed this. He went his whole life on it. He would blur the line between you know. real life and fiction throughout his whole life. Yeah, and this would become all too evident at the end of his life, where he would voraciously read books and claim the storyline of the book that, you know, one of the adventure books was one of his many adventures never taking into consideration that he had shared that same book with his quote-unquote handlers. And they're like, that's legitimately the book we we all just read. Yeah. <laughs> like, that wasn't you. <laughs> like, he, it wasn't even enough to make his own stories. He was stealing everybody else's stories, too. Yeah. But, but the funny part of it is, though, is, like, as he got older, he would use the same stories. Yeah. And that just shows the kind of sociopath that you're dealing with here. You know, it's not like he's just this guy that rambles. No. And like it changes no. all the time. Like he would build layer upon layer yes. this life yep. that he wanted. Yep. Because the real L. Ron Hubbard, he didn't want to deal with. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's funny that this warped up mess mm-hmm. created this new mental health program. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. So I guess maybe it's brilliant. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, so it turns out Hub Senior, he's got a slight problem with his accounting. Yeah. And he was called before an inquiry for a deficiency of nine hundred and forty two dollars and twenty five cents in his accounts. Now, mind you, this is like late nineteen teens into yeah. nineteen twenty. 
Yeah. And this oddly would be a lot of money all too common with his personal debts as well. Mm -hmm. So it would also make sense that his son would also have issues with money and paying bills. And until he decided he should put into place a cult or religion, which in his words was the only way to make money. I think here's where it's kind of due for pause because I think a lot of people could just say, oh, he did the whole cult thing just to make money. Yes. I mean, he did state no, it. No, I mean, yes, yes, the answer times. is to that because he always said, you know, a religion is the best thing to start. Yeah. However, I think like everybody wants to make him the smartest man in the room. I mean, he thought he was. Yes. And he truly believed and he I'm was. I'm not even going to say he's not smart. No, but- I don't. I don't think. I think what he is is a desperate creative person. Yes. That was leaving one mess. Yes. To eventually get into another. And yeah. that's all he was doing yeah, was damage he consistently control. consistently ran from whatever issue or problem he had. He wasn't to in the same place. town for more no. than a year. No. He would move all over the place. Yes. Yep. Um, I'm sorry. Treated his kids like shit. He treated his family. Families. His to- entire his fam- families, families like plural. Shit. The one he was born to, his yes. first wife, his, his second, second wife, wife, his third wife. Oh yeah, that's right. Three wives. Yeah. You know. And don't and- forget the one that he did want to marry, and she was like, "I don't think I'm going to do that." Yeah, yeah, and dodged the biggest Hugest bullet in history. Bullet. Yeah. Yeah, but you have somebody here, and and that's how I think this got to where it was. He. All the way till where he died. Right, yeah. He was just leaving one bad scenario for another. Yeah. Very, very close to Aleister Crowley. Yeah, yeah. Same behavior. Yep. Down to a T. And I mean, they merged very close. Oh, they did, yeah. But, but the fact is, is at the end of the day, you have two people that left a wake of destruction behind In them. their path, yes. You know. And a bunch of devout zealots. Yeah. Who, who are all too happy to sing their praises. Yeah. Never minding. Like you can actually see the destruction. The destruction. Yeah. You can see it. It's tangible. It's right there. And they're like, nah, man, they're just, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All fine. right. Fine. I, I don't. Then here's. I don't understand. And this is what I say to this. I have eyes and I can see and the sky is yeah. blue. And, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and this is where I'd like to tell Scientologists. You know, because it's funny, all the propaganda they have all over the internet, it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. They never give details on anything. And it's like, just show me the location that you're saving. Yeah. You're If you're saving humanity all over the place, yeah. then show, show me- Show us one. Show me the hospital you built. Yeah. Oh, no, that's right. You don't have enough money to build a hospital because, you know, it's over at Miscavige's house or yeah. you bought a P-51 Mustang for Tom Cruise's hangar. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. where the money's going. Yeah. You know, and and that's what you'll never see on all the propaganda. You'll see this, like, stuff, and oh, it's yeah. vague. They do photo ops. No, and it's vague, yeah. and that's, that's... They have to keep it vague. No, and that's L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Like, he was vague. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful way of not being completely specific. Mm-hmm. And if he was, the moment it went bad... He would pivot, pivot yep. and go over to this other direction. And yeah. they'd all just be like, oh, okay. Look into my eyes. Yeah. Look into my eyes. No, it's <laughs> look at this big shiny yeah. thing, yeah. you know, and follow, you had a group of people that followed the shiny thing forever. Yes, yes. So a consequence of a Navy career is 
frequent postings. Yeah. Shocker, right? So in 1921, Hub Sr. was posted to the USS Oklahoma as an assistant supply officer whose port of call was in San Diego, California. So this means the Hubbards are no longer going to be able to stay in Helena, Montana, and they moved to San Diego. Oh, so his grandfather, who owned a quarter of it, that was a waste of time? Yeah. Oh. Adios. Maybe he so, should just be a small-time veterinarian ex- then. I don't know. A year <laughs> after being in San Diego, the Oklahoma's new port was the Puget Sound, and the family moved to Seattle, Washington. And in Seattle, LRH joined the Boy Scouts. And in 1923, Hub Sr. had to head to Washington, D.C., to attend training at the Bureau of Supply and Accounts School of Application, probably because they'd like to not have another $942 deficiency in his accounts. On account of his job is an accountant. Yeah. So LRH and his mother would make their way to D.C. on the USS U.S. Grant, making its way through the Panama Canal to D.C. It was on this trip that LRH would meet Commander Snake Thompson, a U.S. Navy Medical Corps psychoanalyst who would awaken the study of Freud in ass face. So Snake was apparently a friend of the senior hubs and was a personal student of Freud. His nickname was earned for his love of slithery creatures. Okay, makes sense. And he apparently took it upon himself to give a 12-year-old boy a basis in Freudian theory and shoving his nose into books at the Library of Congress. Doubtful. The same time he was spending his time reading with Snake, he was also super active in the Boy Scouts, getting 21 merit badges in 90 days and became an Eagle Scout at 13. I heard 12. Supposedly, yeah, he he jumped between 12 and 13, but the first time they mention it, He was 13. Mm -hmm. Supposedly the youngest Eagle Scout at the time. However, the Scouts only recorded their Eagle Scouts alphabetically. They never put the age Age, of the Scout. So you're saying that's a little misdirection there? Probably. Yeah? Yeah. I doubt very highly he became an Eagle Scout at 13. I would agree. Seeing how we're on a bed of lies and the hits are just going to keep coming. Yeah. I mean, I bet he eventually did get his Eagle Scout, but I doubt he was 13 when he did it. I Mm. bet he was more like 15, 16. In the meantime, he's screwing up school. So he's getting homeschooled by his mom. Yeah, I'm I'm getting into that. So in LRH lore, he spent his teen years as an explorer in the South Pacific and the Orient, Mm. supported at the time by said wealthy grandfather that owns a quarter of Montana, learning the language Igorati, an Eastern primitive language, in a single night. However, in real life, his father was promoted to full lieutenant and posted to Puget Sound, Bremerton, Washington, as a dispersing officer. The Hubbards found a house not far from the Navy Yard, and two years later, they moved to Seattle as the senior hub could commute to work via ferry. So wait, he didn't sleep with bandits in Mongolia? No. He didn't travel to India and Tibet no. and all that? Oh, okay. Ron was in his sophomore right. year when his father got a posting in Guam for two years. And Ron was super, super excited because he was like, great, I'm going to Guam. Little did he know, his parents were like, yeah, no, you're not. Um, we're going to Guam. You're mm. going to come on a vacation. But then we're shipping you back 
to your grandparents and your aunties, mm-hmm. and you're going to go to school and you're going to graduate. Yeah. So. So, ma- so was this the time you slept with bandits in Mongolia? No. Oh, all right, all right. All right. He never slept with bandits in Mongolia. He never even went to Mongolia. May and Ron sailed on the President Madison, bound for Honolulu, Yokohama, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Manila. May brought books to continue Ron's schooling, considering he had not finished his semester at school, and he would be heading back to Helena, Montana in July to be ready for the fall semester. Mm. They had very... Uh, short stops at each port, hardly time for the exploration that Ron would claim in his stories and biographies. Many times they stopped long enough to refuel and get provisions, and then they were off again. I mean, they did get to go to, like, museums and stuff. And got to say, um, Ass Face wasn't really impressed by any of it. No. 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 He did go back to Helena to attend high school, but lasted barely one school year before he left to join his parents in Guam. His father received a call from Washington that his son was requesting permission to board a ship headed to Guam. Hub Sr. gave permission, and Ron was on his way uh, back to Guam, and his mother would see to his education. And during this time, Ron was writing stories in his, uh, they were like um, blank accounting journals. Mm -hmm. And the Hubbards returned to the United States in 1929, not due his grandfather's death, as Ron would claim, because his grandfather didn't die until 1931. They went back to the United States because Hub Sr. was on his way to his new posting as dispersing officer at the Naval Hospital, and he had pulled strings to get Ron enrolled in the Swavely Preparatory School in Manassas, Virginia, who were running a course because he wanted to get Ron into Annapolis uh, Naval Academy. And his mother sent Ron a letter telling him to actually do his schoolwork and his schoolwork only and to leave the story writing behind. So at Swavely, Ron complained of eye strain and was sent to a doctor at the Naval Hospital where he was found to be so short-sighted that he stood no chance of passing the medical exam for the Annapolis Naval Academy. Oh, boy. So his father worked to to get Ron enrolled at George Washington University to be a civil engineer. Mm. And a major that... Ron had zero interest in pursuing. Really? He spent the bulk of his time avoiding his classes, working to become a glider pilot. He started a gliding club. Well, and he became a nuclear physicist, right? Nope. Oh, all right. His grades were so bad. (laughs) (laughs) The only the only good grades he had was like in physical education and English. Yeah. Like that was it. Everything else was abysmal. But I read that he left after his uh, sophomore year at George Washington University. It was during which he uh, failed a course of molecular and atomic physics. He failed a couple courses, but yeah. Yeah. No, I'm saying like that was mm-hmm. that was the one like failed that one yep. and then out the door. Yep. But yeah, it's weird. Somehow he became a nuclear physicist. Yeah, after weird, all right? Yeah. And it's this gliding club would be how he would meet his first wife, Margaret Louise Grubb, known to everyone as Polly. And they married on April 6th, 1933. He would provide for his family by writing articles for magazines and earned that year about a hundred whole dollars for the whole year. 
This would be when he would turn to the pulp magazines to sell his stories. May 7th, 1934 would bring the birth of his first child, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard Jr. And I'm going to tell this story because fucking really? He was apparently two months premature and weighed in at two pounds, two ounces, and spent his first couple months in a makeshift incubator, first out of a shoebox, then by lining a cupboard drawer with blankets and keeping it warm with an electric bulb. Polly would wrap the baby in cotton wool and fed him with an eyedropper. So for two months, they maintained a night and day vigil, taking turns watching him. During Polly's pregnancy, Ron's dad would ask how his um, Nibs was doing, and this is how Nibs got his nickname. Yeah. And I'm finding this account pretty hard to swallow because a preemie, like she was seven months pregnant when they were in California on a quote-unquote vacation, and she had gone into the ocean, and she was swimming, and she had a hard time fighting the riptide. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused her to spontaneously go into labor. Labor, And she supposedly delivered their son in the room. Like, really? We're supposed to believe that you wrapped this baby. Babe, he was the youngest Eagle Scout ever. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be able to pull any of this I'm off? sorry, but a preemie of that size, especially two pounds, two He's ounces, a nuclear physicist would need who more than youngest... just a cupboard and a light bulb. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't know, man. I'm calling bullshit. That kid needs oxygen. He needs 24-hour care until, at the very least, his lungs are fully developed and you know he can actually breathe on his own like none of that just makes sense to me well and this is before the e-meters this is before even dianetics he yeah. hasn't even written dianetics yeah. yet. he hasn't even figured out that's like what's a dianetics so <sighs> polly and nibs would stay home while ron would leave to go to new york to quote unquote write and meet with friends publishers etc as well as have an affair with his current flavor of the moment. And I'm going to do another hard stop. This is an ugly ginger. Like, <laughs> he's not cool. I was waiting for he's that to come He's not a cool up. ginger. Like, he's got shitty teeth. He's fat. He's got... He doesn't have, like... There's nothing about this guy that's that would... And this is this oh. is where this is where if you're around a bunch of people who don't have confidence, don't have a um like a leading like self esteem in their life, and someone comes in that can just show confidence. Ladies, you know, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to Google image. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Take a look at that face. And I want you to to reply in the Facebook group <laughs> whether or not you would have sex with that. Especially around this time, he's got a real problem with money. Like yeah, he but he doesn't he's, have any. But he's that's the thing is he's scamming everybody for money. It's just it's a giant everywhere he went was a giant scam. And, and and somebody who comes in and tells a bunch of stories, keeps people captivated, 
which he was a great storyteller. Okay, fine. You know. That doesn't that's, mean you no, want to sleep what every, with a storyteller. But that's what everybody says sucked him in. Is he he was this and he they would sit there and this was this this group that would be like, why would somebody lie about something like X? Yeah. Why would somebody lie about something like Y? Yeah. And and they just accepted it. Yeah. And you're sitting around with a bunch of writers who just None of them tell the truth. No. You know, yeah. it's just, they're they're all about giving the story scope, quote unquote, you know. Jazz and, it up. Yeah, jazz it up. And this is, again, like someone in that in that era, you know, or not that era, but that demographic. Yeah. That group. And so people are just, I, I that's the thing I, I was most compelled about reading stuff, stories about him from other hand accounts where they're like, I know he wasn't telling the truth. Yeah. Like they're literally coming yeah. out and saying, I know he wasn't telling the truth, but he just had a thing to him. Yeah. Like a, he you know. He had a way. And I think people, I think he had this and he practiced it and got better, but I don't know if it was on purpose, but he had, there's people who have a hypnotizing effect mm-hmm. on certain types of people, mm-hmm. you know. And that's all the way up till now. Yeah. I'll sit there and I'll watch either a woman or a man just get all Googled up about somebody. Yeah. And I'll look and be like, you don't see any of this. What do you mean? You mm-hmm. know, just the, and I think it's a natural form of hypnosis to some degree and people are in it and other people aren't because you hear it through the pattern of his life. You hear people that are like, this guy was full of shit. Yeah. Full of shit. And yeah. he had these people like zombies following him. Yep. And then you hear the followers that are like, yeah, I know that it was probably not right. And I know it was probably far-fetched. I know at some point he was lying, but it was just too important. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Insert the thing that they're- Whatever excuse. That yeah. they're hooked on. Yeah. You know, and, and he was able to throw that hook. And that just shows you that you don't, I mean- Having good looks and a smile and a, a sense of humor will get you way far yeah. out. But you can be a broken stump and and still have that ability. And he is the example of that. It's why I think people need to know more yeah. about L. Ron Hubbard. Like they all don't come in like a big smile like Ted Bundy, you know, yeah. and just like real just magnanimous mm-hmm. and 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 just be able to bring people in like that. That's like the true definition of the horrific sociopath. Yeah. But you have somebody here that just knows the mental angles. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's where it is. It's the mental angles. So yeah. this so, ogre <laughs> lived to tell stories and be the center of attention. And mm-hmm. one of his stories was purchased by Columbia Studios to be a three-part Saturday matinee serial called The Secret of Treasure Island. He And with this, he added Hollywood scriptwriter to his growing list of quote-unquote skills. His second child, Catherine May, was born uh, January 15, 1936, and Ron and Polly bought a wooden house at South Colby on a steep hillside overlooking meadows and orchards sloping to Puget Sound. Polly loved it and called it the hilltop. Ron had a local carpenter build a rough pine cabin in the trees at the back of the property that you he used for his studio with a desk and typewriter, and he went about the business of writing more stories. By 1938, Ron started to get into writing science fiction. Ron had a habit of sleeping all day and writing all night, and it was not uncommon for him to write for extended hours. 
He also claimed at this time to have written, quote unquote, the book about philosophy. The book was Excalibur and rumored to cause anyone who uh, read it to go out of their minds. It was supposed to revolutionize the world and people's attitudes toward each other, claiming it would have more impact than the Bible. Turns out no such manuscript ever existed. And I believe this was probably the initial inspiration for his megatrope, Dianetics. That's just me inserting my uh, yeah. My thoughts. I I think I think that is a safe assumption. Yeah. So Ron was spending less and less time with his actual wife and children, and more and more time pursuing whatever whim and whimsy affected him in at any given moment. He also had the habit of leaving a pile of debt in his wake, while having truly expensive taste and habits. He was also um all too aware of the effect that he had on people and would use this to advantage to try and get whatever he could from them to suit his needs at the time. Enter Jack Parsons. He was a brilliant scientist, chemist, and explosive expert, as well as an occultist. He was a fan of Aleister Crowley and black magic specifically. He joined the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis, which was an, an organization created by Crowley. Check out our episode to practice sex magic. And when Jack's father passed, he inherited a mansion on South Orange Grove that would become a home to those interested in the occult, atheists, boho, hippies. That's who this guy specifically would rent rooms to. So Jack's wife left him for another member of the OTO, and Jack transferred his interest to her younger sister, Sarah Northrup. She went by Betty, as Elizabeth was her middle name. In August 1945, Lou Goldstone brought LRH to South Orange Grove and was invited to stay while on and uh, LRH was ex- um, invited to stay while he was on leave from the Navy. Jack felt Ron had great magical potential and introduced him to some of the OTO rituals. LRH in time started to have an affair with Betty, and this devastated Jack. Parsons soon became obsessed with the idea of summoning the Whore of Babylon, as mentioned in Crowley's Book of the Law, and she was the Scarlet Woman who would birth the Antichrist, and Parsons and LRH would work this ritual for days, at the end of which a woman named Marjorie Cameron appeared and Parsons was convinced she was this elemental spirit. Yeah. Ron's wife and children? Oh, they moved in with Ron's parents. And Polly's trying desperately to get Ron to send money to support their children. Meanwhile, Ron, Sarah, slash Betty, and Jack had decided to start a joint venture called Allied Enterprises, where they would buy yachts and resell them at a profit. They would buy them on the East Coast, sell them on the West Coast. Because he knows so much about boats, being in the Navy and all. Oh, yes. I, I skipped over... There's his, so much we have to skip over. His I mean, time you know. in the Navy on account of he declared war on a magnetic field in the Pacific. Yeah. And I think that's all we need to say about that. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fucking asshat. Yeah. So <laughs> Jack put in the bulk of the money. $20,000. Ron came up with about $1,000 while Sarah contributed nothing. Ron and Sarah drafted a check for $10,000 out of the account to head to Florida to buy a yacht. 
However, so much time passed that Parson was convinced that Ron and Sarah had taken the money and run, which they did. Yeah. And he was literally ready to go after them legally. And Ron calls. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. So they did buy a yacht in Miami and they were living the life of Riley while Jack was virtually penniless. So July 1st, Jack filed suit in the circuit court of Dade County, accusing Ron and Sarah of breaking the terms of their partnership, dissipating assets, and attempting to abscond. A receiver was appointed to wind up the affairs of Allied Enterprises, and a restraining order was placed on Ron and Sarah, preventing them from leaving Miami or disposing of the assets. On the 11th, they signed an agreement drafted by Jack's lawyer, wherein Ron and Sarah handed over the Blue Water and the Diane because they had purchased three boats. boats. And they agreed to pay Parson's legal fees. Parson allowed Ron and Sarah to keep one of the boats, the Harpoon, in return for a promissory note of $2,900, which covered Parson's part of that boat. Given that Ron and Sarah could not pay the mortgage on the Harpoon, they sold it, clearing most of their debt. Ron asked Sarah to marry him, and on... August 10th of 1924, they were married in a simple ceremony in Chestertown, Maryland. While he was still if married. If you're saying to yourself, isn't he still married to yeah. his first wife? You're, you're playing the home he game sure right. He sure is. Yeah, He's yeah. broke and trying to get the Navy to provide him a, a pension to support him. Yeah. You know, on account of his service. On his service. Where he declared war on, on a magnetic, magnetic field. field. With depth chargers. Yeah. So Polly, the first wife, finally filed for divorce in Port Orchard, Washington, on the grounds of desertion and non-support. Three weeks after Polly sent, set the divorce proceedings in motion, Ron moved himself and Sarah into their home, the Little Hilltop. You can't make Ron's shit parents... Up. And aunts all disapproved of this behavior. And at this point, they're like, you know, the kid we knew is gone. Yeah. We don't know who this person is. So Ron signed an agreement to divorce on June 1st. And in a decree was warded on June 23rd. And Polly was given custody of the children and a maintenance cost of $25 per child a month. The maintenance was rarely, if ever, paid. Mm-hmm. Ron and the new Mrs. Hubbard left for California in July. So Ron's still trying to get a pension from the VA. And I mean, they did give him one, and it was like 11 bucks. And he's like, I can't live on this. Yeah. However, we're going to dip here <laughs> just for a second. He, the, the stuff you read, this is where the biography um, is amazing. All of the submittals that he did yeah. for... Yes. This check. Yes. And all the symptoms that he said yes. he had. Yep. And they were like, we every tested you. Every malady he had, like it, every time and they tested it, him. Was, it was the same ones from before and yeah. a couple more. A couple new ones. All new ones. You know, yeah. Yeah. I don't have those other things yeah. anymore. Now I have this. And they just disappeared, yeah. you know. Oh, and, you, so you, know, you don't have arthritis yeah, anymore. He would, you know? The VA doctors yeah. are like, we... Yeah, he's fine. And this is great when you talk to a Scientologist because they were like, well, he was working on Dianetics then. He was figuring it all out. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Still trying to get a money check, though. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) So he's still trying to get his pension from the VA with his made up maladies that could never be confirmed by the Navy doctors. And many stated that he actually was in good health and not at all how he was per portraying himself to the VA. And at this time, Ron was also into hypnosis and would take great care to put people under 
while at parties. He was also chronically in debt and stated on several occasions that the only way to make money, again, is to start a religion or a cult. And he said this in rooms with large groups of people. Over and over He and would over also again. be arrested for a misunderstanding regarding a check. Yeah. He was fingerprinted and charged with petty theft. He was released on $500 bail while the sheriff's forgery detail investigated the the offense. And on August 19th, 1948, he was assigned or he was arraigned at San Gabriel Township Justice Court where he entered a plea of not guilty and waived trial by jury. By the time of the court date on August 31st, Ron had changed his plea to guilty and was fined $25 which he seems to have paid. The court files were destroyed in 1955, so there are only so these are the only known details of the incident and they're not at all referenced in any of his bios or in the Scientology propaganda. Yeah. Because heaven forbid their golden child should be arrested for yeah. forgery. And in 1949, he started writing a book on philosophy, which was going to make its debut in the April issue of Astounding Science. This was Dianetics and would become the basis for the juggernaut that is Scientology. The book was going to give man a perfect, indelible, total memory and perfect, errorless ability to compute his problems, along with the basic answer and a technique for curing, not alleviating ulcers, arthritis, asthma, and many non-germ diseases. Mm -hmm. So the Hubbards took a beach cottage at Bayhead, New Jersey, at the urging of John Campbell, who was the power behind astounding science fiction, where Dianetics debuted. He wanted to be a part of what he felt was sure to be um, an historical breakthrough. Ron ran Campbell down a time track using a type of hypnosis to recall and erase painful experiences. Thus, the first disciple was born. Campbell reached out to a Dr. Joseph Winter, a GP in St. Joseph, Michigan. Winter uh, Winter trekked all the way to New Jersey to see what the fuss was about. And Ron was running someone else down at that point. And then Winter offered himself to be run. And because he felt better after the session than he did before it, Mm -hmm. he also became a devotee. Well, that means it works. He returned to Michigan on Thanksgiving where his six-year-old son had a paralyzing fear of the dark. Winter applied the same techniques to his son, after which his son's phobia soon disappeared. Mm -hmm. Or it could just actually be you sat down and you talked to your child and you actually listened and you validated his feelings and then he felt more comfortable. And that's where yeah. I get to the beginning of this where, you know, I, I believe I said it in the other episode with Scientology. I, you know, there's parts of it that work, but the fact is, is it's, it's normal common sense stuff. Yeah. You know, there's no wacky, wacky name or no. th- there's nothing new here. So in the midst of all this, Ron becomes a father for the third time. March 8th of 1950, Sarah gives birth to a daughter, Alexis Valerie, who sported flaming red hair. May May 9th of 1950, Dianetics, the modern science of mental health, Hubbard's other baby, appeared in stores without much fanfare and in bookstores across the nation. This book attacked women, the medical profession, to which he aimed much hostility. This would also be the beginning of auditing as uh, as would become common practice 
in Scientology, the first purchasers were the science fiction fans who took to auditing their friends who in turn ran out to get their own copy so that they could audit their friends. And Hubbard decided to run a Dianetics course for 500 bucks. Classes were 35 to 40 people and Ron lectured every day. And by July 2nd, Dianetics was on the bestsellers list in the LA Times. One of Ron's favorite pastimes was to write letters to the FBI, reporting his enemies as communists, apparently uh, never thinking it could actually reflect back on him. Yeah, let's pause there for a second. So this is the whole McCarthyism era. Correct. You know, just so, uh, you know, I know schools do such a shitty job at telling the history of the country. Uh, What? Yeah, so you had this whole McCarthyism era where McCarthy, this guy was trying to, Identify all these communists, communists, you know, and trying to root them out, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And so the excessive narking came into play and everybody was narking people that were communists or people that they didn't like. And they were getting the attention as communists. Kind of sound familiar with a little stuff that's going on right now. Maybe just a little bit. (laughs) This is why you got to learn about history, folks. Yeah. Because it repeats itself if you don't read about it. Fucking does. So this guy... Yeah, anybody that would get in his way yeah. during the McCarthyism era. He, which would, is, he would turn him into the FBI. Turn him into the FBI. Yeah. We're going to put a pin in that because his relationship with the FBI gets pretty cool later. Sure does. So as much money as he's making on these lectures, he's also rapidly spending it and yeah. carrying on an affair with Barbara Kay, who's 20 years old and noted that he was not a particularly attractive man. They traveled to San Francisco hawking this whole Dianetics lecture course. And while at a party, she finds Ron kissing the host's wife. No. Same time, his foundation in New Jersey, Jersey where he's carrying on these lectures, is approaching financial crisis. Mm. He took his wife, his mistress, and one of the instructors at the L.A. Foundation, Miles Hollister, who would become his wife's lover, out to dinner. Barbara had kept very detailed diaries at the time and saw firsthand Ron's paranoia, etc. Each Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation was in financial trouble, and his marriage to Sarah was crumbling. Sarah and Alexis moved to L.A. Ron would get a lackey, Frank Dressler, to help him kidnap Alexis. They dropped off Alexis at the Westwood Nurses Registry in L.A. because he knew that Miles and Sarah we're going to have him committed for being insane so that she could get custody of the kid, divorce him, et cetera. So, so he decides kidnap the he's going to kidnap the kid. They'll pick up Sarah from her home and they'll drag her into the back of a Lincoln and take her to a bunch of medical professionals mm. so that he can have her declared insane and committed. And none of these medical professionals were... We're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. But wait, he's got Dianetics. Doesn't that fix it? So his intent. Or am I scoring wrong at home? I have no idea. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, This is where it's going to start getting splitty. Yeah. So he's trying to get her committed before she can get him committed. Mm. So he made. So they're not fixing each other with Dianetics. Just for the record. They are not. Okay. All right. He made Sarah sign a paper stating she was with him willingly and gave Sarah the name of where. And he also gave Sarah the name of where Alexis was being held. Mm. LRH had taken Alexis from her nurse 
And Sarah filed a kidnapping complaint in L.A., but it was not taken seriously. Like, he did tell her where the kid was, but he had gone and removed her. So it was kind of like a kind of kidnapping thing. Yeah. Okay. So he took this opportunity to turn in his wife and her lover as communists to the FBI. And he had taken to New Jersey. He had taken Alexis to New Jersey where he effectively alienated Campbell, one of the OGs. Yeah. LRH, Alexis, and Drexler then took off from New Jersey to Cuba, and Sarah filed for divorce on April 23rd, 1951, citing bigamy, kidnapping, subjected, and that he subjected her to systemic torture, including loss of sleep, beatings, strangulations, and scientific experiments. Mm. And a PR campaign was waged against him. So being nearly out of money, Hubbard found another benefactor in Don Purcell, a businessman in Wichita, Kansas. So he would bankroll Hubbard until he realized that he would never recoup his money. So he moved again to find somebody with money. Yes. Oh, okay. He didn't make the money. No. Oh, So Sarah's still having issues serving divorce papers to Ron as she believes he's in Cuba. Meanwhile, he's in Wichita, Kansas. So someone tells her, no, I pretty sure he's in Wichita. So now they knew where he was and they had to serve him before he could flee. Mm -hmm. So on June 9th of 1951, Sarah signed a statement canceling her receivership and divorce suit in California in return for a divorce granted by Hubbard. She withdrew everything she had said about him in a statement that was written by Hubbard with just her name signed to it. So on June 12th, the divorce was granted in Sedgwick County Court on the basis of Sarah's gross neglect and extreme cruelty. Sarah received custody of Alexis, which was all she really cared about. Yeah. This asshat would claim that he was never married to Sarah and he would never admit that Alexis was his child, even though he went so far as to kidnap her and take her from her mother to use her as leverage. Yeah. In in uh, in 1968, uh, there was this uh, uh, interview or something like that, and mm-hmm. uh, for Granada Television, and it was about Sarah Northrup, and and while married to his third wife, mm-hmm. he goes, "I never had a second wife." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like yeah, easy stuff you can check out. Like yeah. these are layups to find out that this yeah. guy is just slime. So. <laughs> Don had partnered with Ron and he, on these yeah. Hubbard Foundations. Oh, he bought into he yep. bought into Ron big time, and he was soon learning that he would be bankrupted by having to s- settle all of Ron's debts. Yeah. His Wichita chapter of the Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation was liable for all the debts of the original Elizabeth New Jersey Foundation, forcing Purcell to file bankruptcy. Hubbard further insulted Purcell for filing suit for breach of faith and contract in the sum of $50,000 because this guy had to file bankruptcy. Yeah. Hubbard and Purcell. Let's pause for a second. Yeah. He went to Wichita, a guy trying to help and and do the cause bankrupted him. Mm -hmm. Just flat out bankrupted him. So he's ruined uh, two women, uh, children. Yep. He's bankrupted. uh, I think that's the second person he bankrupt. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because Parson. Because the boat. Parson and Purcell. The, yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, he's, so, a, he's misunderstood, L. Ron is. Hubbard and Purcell were both claiming ownership of the tapes, books, techniques, processes, and paraphernalia of Dianetics, including mm. the name. 
Yeah. Purcell would be a victim of Ron's fair game technique. This is when fair Ron actually started. initiates fair game. Yeah. Hubbard took the address plates for the mailing list. Because that's what all religious leaders yeah. do is fair A game. number of taped lectures. And when returned to Purcell because of dis- discovery, every third or fourth word was missing. And in March of 1952, Hubbard married Mary Sue Whip, yeah. who was two months pregnant at the time. Ron had started Hubbard College. And stayed in business six whole weeks before his Hubbard colleges folded. Yeah. He hosted an event in the banquet hall of the Wichita Hotel to about 80 people where he introduced a new device he called the E-meter, which he claimed was capable of measuring emotions accurately to give an auditor a deep and marvelous insight into the mind of their pre-clear. Yeah, so if you're not too familiar with Scientology at this point, an E-meter is this electric box that has a gauge on it. Soup cans. And, yeah, the original one was soup cans connected with cables. And what it would do is it would measure the electricity in your body and give a response. So if you had something troubling, it would read a large level on there. Yeah. So this is where you'll hear in Scientology where they say going clear. Yeah. When you're going clear is where you get all the stuff, you get all the stuff out of you, and what it's doing is, is it's just lowering the stress yeah. of your body. Yeah. And then going clear means that you go through all this and you don't register on, on the there. meter. Yeah. Now, mind you, no one has gone clear yet. No. As he's going through this and inventing all this, no, there's no recorded person going clear. That'll come up a, a little bit later on the tour. This would be the beginning of Scientology. And he would travel from place to place trying to find somewhere where they could establish a home base or flagship. He would also turn to the sea to avoid being caught or put into custody. He figured this would be the best way to avoid the authorities. He was certain the FBI, the CIA, insert whatever. Three letter. Three letter. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) uh, Designation. They were all after him. Never mind the countless letters he had sent to them offering training in Dianetics. Yeah. This would be the origin of the Sea Ord. This being out at sea. Yeah, and just before that, he was over in England for a stint, bought yeah. a bunch of property over there. Yeah. And um, got kicked out of there. Got kicked out of there. <laughs> yeah, long story short. Yeah. Yeah. So he had special uniforms made for them. He hired non Scientologists to captain and maintain the ship. Yeah. But they had to use the Sea Org manual with regard to operation that mm. Hubbard had written. The captain relied on his watch and a sextant to maintain course. And Hubbard did not allow the use of any of the available instruments of no. the boat because he didn't know how to use them. He also decided to just do what he wanted, including firing the captain and the WOG crew. WOGs are non-Scientologists mm-hmm. and naming a Scientologist as the captain made this poor girl shit her pants. Yeah. And then he's like, well, surely in some previous life you were a captain. Yeah. Just recall that. We're going to we're gonna briefly go over the Sea Org at this point. We're not going to get into huge detail with it because that is going to be the next future episode mm-hmm. of our Scientology set. Yeah. But as you were. His children, Nibs and Katie, joined him. But Nibs would later leave Scientology as he was not able to make enough money to support his family. Shocker. Weird. Turns out he, like his father, would also have a hard time providing for his family and money issues 
Mm. always were a problem for him. Many of the people closest to him were alienated by his behaviors and tantrums. He had a Harley Davidson that he liked to ride when they were in port, and he managed to dump it. And the Scientologist doctor was sure he had broken his arm and a couple ribs. He refused to go to the hospital as doctors scared him, but he did allow a doctor to wrap his arm and his ribs and provide a script for painkillers. But the pain was so great, he was miserable to everyone and everything. He would have his own messengers at the time who were just pretty young girls, scantily clad, though they claim he never tried anything inappropriate with them. Well, that wasn't the point for him, though. And this is where we'll briefly get into uh, the Sea Org a bit. Because this is, uh, again, to show you how nefarious this guy was. Um, the There was a uh, the messengers, and they were young girls. Yep. Of course, uh, dressed well, yeah. we'll say. And uh, basically, uh, the Doreen Smith, yeah. who was the captain mm-hmm. at that point, uh, once asked him why he chose young girls as messengers. And he said it was an idea he picked up from Nazi Germany. And he said Hitler was a madman, but nevertheless a genius in his own right. And the Nazi youth was one of the smartest ideas he ever had. Yeah. And it's actually true. Yeah. It was a smart idea. Because um, with young people, you have a blank slate. You could write anything you wanted on it. And it could be, and it would be your writing. Uh, that was his idea to mm-hmm. take young people and mold them into little Hubbards. Yep. And he said that he uh, had the girls because women were more loyal than men. Right. And the more the messengers did for the Commodore, which is what he called himself. Correct. The more he came to think of them as the only members of the crew he could trust. Correct. So now he has this layer. Yes. In front of him. And these messengers, we'll get into it in the Sea Org episode in depth. But they They would fucking do anything for this guy. And if they they were the rule. Provided. A statement, it was coming from, from Hubbard. Hubbard, It was yes. as if Hubbard was telling them. Yes, and this is exactly what Hitler did with the yes. Nazi youth. This is where learning history helps you because it didn't just happen with Hitler. It yeah. happened with this guy. Yeah. This is how it works. You get young people. And here's the thing. I can't slug out a 13-year-old. No. Because if I slug out a 13-year-old, I'm a monster now. Exactly, yes. But the 13-year-olds turned into monsters. They sure did. They stated it. And they stated it. Yeah. And they, they openly knew admitted it. it. They openly knew. They were like, we became tyrants. The, yeah, they were yeah. tyrants. It was Lord of the Flies. Yeah. So he was also behind uh, infiltrating government bodies to collect intel on what information they had about Scientology with the attempt to remove all of the bad information so that only benign information would remain. And he was in charge of this project because nothing happened in Scientology without his pretty much declaration. Yeah. It's all everything written by him. It's all his, his stuff. Yeah. He was in charge of this project, which was project snow white. He was responsible for everything. Yeah. That happened in Scientology. Quick deal there. This is when they got finally into Clearwater, Florida. When yeah. Snow White was going on. Yeah. And this was where he was getting excessively paranoid yes. over these government agencies. And the government agencies had shit on him. They did. And so this Snow he White. He had people in uh, the yeah, this is crazy. IRS, like, the you FBI. You can't make this shit up. And they were actually bringing 
they documents were infiltrated out. into yeah, the organizations in yeah. and they were bringing out audio, yep. video, uh, uh, paperwork. paperwork. Yeah. 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 So he wrote all of the directives and he would let his wife and three other Scientologists take the fall for being caught in the act. His wife never turned state's evidence against him, even though he was very little, you know, even though there's very little in the way of love between them. But he abandoned her. He fucking so, turned his back on her and actually had her declared a suppressive person. Yeah, yeah. So the true diehards could not believe that LRH, um, you know, could be sick or have any of these things happen, and, you know, because he's supposed to be clear because of all his technologies. Yeah. And, you know, he's constantly having to be given medications for this, that, and the other thing, especially like when he fell and broke his arm in the ribs. Yeah. He was prescribed two painkillers, and heaven forbid you didn't give him the two. Well, he was on medication the whole entire whole time. time. The whole time. Anti-allergy medication, painkillers, yeah. all this type so of stuff. So all the quote-unquote Scientology doctors are like, you know, the tech is supposed to, you know, he's supposed to be above all of this. Yeah. And then they're like, so clearly it's bullshit, but it's still not enough to make him leave. So he's a horrible husband, a horrible father, truly only cares about the cases of money that he was receiving. Grifter. Which at one time <laughs> was amounting to a million dollars a week, and he was telling Scientology he's getting nothing. Yeah. He's getting zero dollars. Fucker's getting a million dollars a week. And he's paying and, and yeah. he's paying people on the Seagord ten dollars a week. Maybe. Maybe. If he even bothered yeah. to pay him. If he even bothered to pay him. And these are people that are living in terrible conditions. Yes. Um, and this goes all the way through his whole entire life. He yeah. was telling everybody that he wasn't making any money. Yep. But yet people are funneling cash to him. And By the case. Yeah. Cases of fucking cases cash. Cases of money. Yeah. So toward the end of his life, he was paranoid and in ill spirits and spent the bulk of that time with Annie and Pat Broker. They bought a ranch, had a motorhome on that ranch where Hubbard stayed. The announcement of his death was made by David Miscavige at the Hollywood Palladium. Thus, at 2,000 hours, Friday, January 24th, 1986, L. Ron Hubbard discarded the body he had used in this lifetime for 74 years, 10 months, and 11 days. The body he had used to facilitate his existence in this universe had ceased to be useful and, in fact, had become an impediment to the work he now must do outside its confines. The being we knew as L. Ron Hubbard still exists. Although you may feel grief, understand that he did not and does not now. He has simply moved on to his next step. LRH, in fact, used this lifetime and body we knew to accomplish what no man has ever accomplished. He unlocked the mysteries of life and gave us the tools so that we could free ourselves and our fellow man. It should be noted, David Miscavige took over Scientology in a coup. He had Annie and Pat essentially labeled as suppressive people mm -hmm. because he was sure with them being so close to him that they would be the next to take over. However, in Ron's own handwriting and in his will stating how it was supposed to go, it was supposed to be his messengers that took over and ran Scientology. Yeah. So good luck with that. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> here you are 
and this is what I loved about the biography with, with Russell was Miscavige didn't come up until the last five pages of the book. Yeah. Like I really thought, because I was sitting there reading it and I'm like, I don't want to see that prick's name yeah. in here at all. Yeah. And, but he, but he did it right. It was the yep. last five pages and he didn't insinuate anything because the book is literally about L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, do you, do you have more? No. Or, so, so this is a, this is a thing that I have. This is my big bone, my big gripe with Scientologists is here you are saying you don't want anybody to bother you. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody to bug you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you really want to look at it in its truest form, uh, Scientologists have this uh, propaganda website, basically. Yeah. And it's uh, standleague.org. And STAND stands for Scientologists Taking Action Against Discrimination. And the whole site is basically, oh, it's all about religious freedom, religious literacy, equality, and human rights. And, of course, it comes out around, like, 2017, 2018 when all this is Mm -hmm. fueling up. They're obviously just hop from trend to To trend trend, to trend. But the articles are crazy because they they want you to – you know, they want you to think they just come across as this group that just, hey, you know, um, we love everybody. And, um, you know, this these are the lies against us. And this is why I'm into Scientology. And they'll never give descriptions. No. They'll never. Like I said, show me the hospitals you build. Yeah. Show me that because I can do that with yeah. Christianity. I can I can just walk you out your door and drive for 10 miles. Yeah. And I'll show you a hospital that's Saint something. Yeah. You know. And, and, and that's where, again, you start looking like, all right, I'll nail it right out in the wide open. Catholic priests, there's some bad ones. Yes. There's some bad bishops. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to laugh because people will sit there and go, well, they're, they're none the better. No, those priests are terrible. Right. Yeah. And also, I think what it should do, this is a shift that I found out later in my life, just kind of looking at things. That should scare you. That yeah. priests do that to kids and yes. stuff like that. You know why? Because it just shows that evil has no bounds. No. None. These are supposed if, to be it, men who are above reproach. Like yeah. They're not supposed to be able to be touched by evil, and yet they were. Well, no, because how they do it, again, is by invitation. Yes. You know, I remember sitting, talking with somebody, and they were just like, I don't understand how a priest could do that or how the church. I said, yeah, it shows the brokenness of the church. Mm-hmm. It shows the brokenness of priests, but how a priest gets to that point is where they start sinning themselves. Yes. And they'll sit there and say, well, you know, I'm holier than all you. Yeah. And the moment they start saying that, that's the devil starting to get into a priest and turn a priest bad. Yes. This is the conflict with good and evil you have everywhere. Yes. L. Ron Hubbard had this evil all around him. And yeah. he drank it in like a sieve. He did. He didn't ever feel bad about taking these people's money. No. And I'm saying before even Scientology took off. Yeah, no. His last breathing days, he was on a compound. Yeah. Tucked away. Yeah. And I'm going to say he probably lost his mind or something. And the yeah. scavenge was just like, look, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. And just took care of him like an old wounded person. Yeah. You know, it was probably a bundling idiot. Nobody on a knew farm. where he was, not no. even Miscavige. No, I, you know, and, and they took over. Mm-hmm. And again, it's for the money. 
Yeah. Look at how this guy freaking lived. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, the money is just absolutely insane. Yes. And it's all up. It's yeah. funneling up. It never goes down. No. You know, it all just went to him. Yeah. And we're going to get into this with the Sea Org where, yeah. I mean, Hubbard's just making all of this money and they're getting paid shit. Yeah. And it's in all these other areas, even yeah. the universities and yeah. all that stuff. They get paid shit, but they're taking money from everybody. And they were doing e-meter readings and auditing on him later in life yeah. when he wasn't feeling well. And he comes out and says, I slowly began to realize that he wasn't acting in the public good or for the benefit of mankind. It might've started out like that, but it was no longer. So this is the person who was doing yeah. the auditing. Yeah. And he says, one day we were talking about the price of gold or something like that. And he said to me very empathetically that he was an obsessed by an insatiable lust for power and money. Yep. I'll never forget it. This person said, those were those were his exact words, an insatiable lust for power and money. Mm -hmm. This gets everybody, yeah. no matter how good your intentions are. Right. And he fouled with that. Mm -hmm. He, you know, they make him like a messiah in this group. They do. And the fact is, is he was terrible to one family, his own. Yep. And I'm saying the ones that birthed him. Yeah. He didn't even, he was told in advance that his mom was dying. And whatever he was doing, couldn't wait. Yeah. This is the leader of an organization. Yeah. He's got people underneath him everywhere. And he can't go to his own mother who's dying. No. And then he just goes, he pays for everything, and he, and leaves. he leaves. He didn't even stay for didn't the funeral. Didn't even stay for the funeral. No. Didn't even stay for the service. No. You know how terrible you have to be? Yeah. To do that? It's unbelievable. And now you got his first wife. Kick them to the curb. Second wife, Second he denies wife even existed. Denies even existed. Yep. The third one totally throws into prison. Yeah. And just doesn't even try to help. No. Doesn't even try to. It wasn't even there for because she served one year. Yeah. She was supposed to serve four to five, which I find amazing. Yeah. That you could infiltrate the government. Yeah. Have this whole thing. And she was the leader. Yeah. According to the government. Yep. And only served four or five years. Yeah unfricking real yeah seeing how there was people that were just in front of the capitol building mm -hmm. on the 6th of, of january and they're doing four years four years for just walking in there yeah that's it and and we're we're finding this out now yeah you know uh that's a whole nother freaking deal that we'll probably never get into but you have yeah you have this guy who's destroyed everybody Everything. around him Everything. Anybody that was physically around this guy was destroyed. Yes. Either mentally, physically, both. Yeah. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. But you had these followers, and this is, again, where we're going to get into it more with the Sea Org. You had these followers that were reading it up through the universities, the mm -hmm. schools, mm -hmm. and they got this whole vision. And then they hop on this boat, and they're like, wait. Yeah. This is nothing like you freaking told me. Yeah. Even the guy, like- when he was filming the movies and stuff like that mm -hmm. later in his life. And they were these shitty movies because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Exactly. And, but yet you got to do everything he's doing. And then, you know, someone would come on the set that was a Scientologist that's never been around him. And they'd hear off in the distance, this guy cursing, swearing mm -hmm. and bitching somebody out at the top of their lungs, like a lunatic. Cause mm -hmm. that's what he is. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, who the hell is that? And they're like, well, that's, that's L Ron Hubbard. 
And they're like, wait a second, this is a guy who's leading this thing and he yeah. acts like that? Mm-hmm. You know, so you have that, you have the fair game, which we're going to get into, and that's when I'm really going to put both barrels into every single mm-hmm. Scientologist of the bullshit that they're under. Mm-hmm. Real religious groups don't act this way. No. And that's the point. Yeah. That's the point on all of this. It's freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, oh, I went this far with it and it worked for me. And it's like, yeah, these are ideas that are just normal. Mm-hmm. If you sit there and you spill your guts about stuff, that's cathartic. Mm-hmm. You don't need cans and all that stuff to yeah. do that. And then the problem is, is it's all power of suggestion because you'll be like, well, how, you know, people are talking about how they went back into the womb. Well, mm-hmm. he directed you there. Mm-hmm. He directed you to the womb. Yeah. So, so, of course, you're going to believe that. Yeah. It's all leaning. And then you find out that you are so-and-so from another life because he's leading you funny. to another, that that thought. That, and if you're led to that thought, you're going to believe it. And if you don't believe us, go look into how people generate the idea of ghosts in their mind and things like that. This is this tie-in with demonology and demons, power of suggestion, Everything you you roll this all up into a ball, and you've got L. Ron Hubbard's life here. But it should be noted, in all of their past lives, they're always a king, a queen, an emperor. Yeah, you know, they're never. I was a slave. Yeah, no, and that was yeah. the funniest part. And it's like really, like, really, so none I'm of you were bad people. Never. You know, never, none of you once. were like the guillotine operator during the French Revolution no. or. No. You know, no, they were all just these yeah. really great people, you know. I was the Queen of Sheba. Oh, sure yeah. Sure you will. Yeah. Which, sure again, that's what we're going to get into in the Sea yeah. Org. But then, of course, as leadership goes on, I would have even gave Scientology a lot of credit if Elron was bad, but he created a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then if Scientology kind of whitewashed everything, mm-hmm. that would have been great. But with Miscavige, it was even worse. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get with Fair Game and everything. But recent news, and I say recent, 30 freaking days ago, yeah. Scientology leader David Miscavige concealed whereabouts uh, this federal judge. They're trying to issue this, uh, not really warrant, but they're just trying to official, uh, they're trying to serve him papers yeah. for a lawsuit. And it's over trafficking yeah. of people. Yes. And, uh, you know, if this person was so innocent yeah, and if this person was so, well, he like LRH believed that if they could not be served, then they would never have to go to trial. They could never be held accountable for anything. No, but you have somebody now like Miscavige is different than LRH. Miscavige truly believes not only that he's above the law, he's above every single non-Scientology person. Yes. So he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what he is. Yeah. And now we're at this point where they, um, they served him. They gave him 21 days to file a response and it's a trafficking complaint. Mm Mm-hmm. And if this guy was innocent, he'd have his attorney showing up. Yeah. They'd, you know, yeah. so I'm sorry. You run, you're guilty. Yeah. And you're, you know, and I, I get it. This is the States. He's innocent till proven guilty, but this is the most guilty thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, honestly, that's all they got to do is go over to John Travolta's house and Tom Cruise is probably hiding there. You know. Seriously. No, and, and that's where... He's BFF, Tom Cruise. Yeah, and that's where I get, like, the Tom Cruises and the John Travoltas. They have to know all this shit's going on. They do. They have to. 
They do. And now the, the cover's token, blown. Because of their auditing, Scientology has all of their deep, dark, dirty yeah. secrets. No, so and again. everybody's in. What They're religion, all in it to win it. And what religion does this? You it's know, not what a religion. Group? No, it's not. You know, and this is where uh, I just, I, even like people that I talk to, like there's so many people that don't know what this is. Because they'll be like, oh, Tom Cruise, he's in that, he's in that weird religion, right? And it's like, yeah, it's Scientology. You ever heard of it? Why oh, no. would you want to know? No. You know. Well, I I think if everybody knew what it really was, I'm curious as to what, like, John Travolta and Tom Cruise's future would be. Yeah. And what gets me is, is the news will talk about that to a point, and then they back. Yeah, but up. I mean, they have to, because you know. if they don't, the Church of Scientology yeah. is going to sue the shit out of them. But you notice it now, all these Hollywood people are leaving it, and they're yeah, leaving they're quietly. Yeah, they're not saying shit about it. No, they're leaving yeah. quietly. You know, because why do you want this shit on your back? Yeah. So, yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. Yes. And the amazing part is, is we only covered maybe 30, 40%. At best. At best of that whole story. But the, I really encourage uh, you to pick up the book uh, without a doubt. Um, It's on Libby. If you're uh, in certain type of uh, borrowing programs with libraries, you can check there. There's audio books for it. It's called Barefaced Messiah, the true story of L. Ron Hubbard by Russell Miller. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a read. I think it's a read to, uh, especially if you've got friends that are Scientologists, mm-hmm. read this book. Yeah. And then you've got some actual discussion points to talk yes. about with them. Yes. Uh, so with that being said, that's episode 116. Mm-hmm. And next week we have... We're going to talk about Whitley Strieber, who you probably know from the book Communion. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to... We're getting into some aliens. Getting into the alien. Uh, and even that's a, a, a deeper discussion with Whitley Strieber. I can't wait. You know, yeah. Because. This was your first uh, like intro into abductions, right? Yes. I believe it was Unsolved Mysteries. Of course it and was. And they presented the cover of the book which is the first time that a picture of an alien yeah was mass produced if yeah. you will and i remember seeing it and it being creepy as fuck i remember reading the book but you know i was a kid but reading it now as an adult and having lived some life experiences it's different yeah this this is going to be a pretty interesting discussion because yeah. it's so far beyond just an abduction story. Yeah. There's, there's a whole lot more there. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, I had the same reaction listening to a different one and I'm going to yeah. read this yep. book next, uh, which would be way shorter than the one I just read. Yeah. Um, Print is bigger. Yeah. <laughs> goes much quicker Less pages yeah uh however yeah i definitely just after listening i did an audiobook yeah of with him i'll put that as a source when we get there but yeah i definitely different uh different way to um digest all of that yeah being older yeah um but 
Yeah, I like. I'm glad we're doing kind of these old stories with L. Ron Hubbard mm-hmm. and Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I I want to keep doing those types of old stories yeah. because, you know, I'm learning more and more of what kids don't have for required reading, and I'm not saying Whitley Strieber should or any yeah, of this yeah, other yeah. stuff, but it's things like, uh. The Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. That's not required reading anymore, which is like scary as fuck to me. You know, well, I don't know if know. The Lord of the Flies is and all that stuff, but this is like basic stuff yeah. that you read about where, you know, it's these people that are always like, oh, you know, humanity, it's it's good by nature. And it's like, no. No, it's not. No, they're not. You know, we've never been good by nature. You know, I believe. It's always been brutal. I believe there's a template there, but the corruption is just yes. there. And you got to realize how evil people can be. Yes. You know, and I mean, like the diary of Anne Frank's a great example of like that does show you that it wasn't just the Nazis you had to be afraid of. No, it was your neighbors, narking people on you. across yeah. the street, narking on you. Yep. So they could be clear on all this yeah. stuff, and and that's uh, you know, that's a bit more of the stuff we're gonna dive deeper in with the Sea Org because they used all those tactics yeah. like that uh, against each other, which is crazy because it wasn't even like it was against Scientologists. It mm-hmm. was a or non-Scientologists. It was against Scientologists. So with that being said, uh, we look forward to uh, talking about that topic with we Whitley do. Strieber. And uh, we're glad you hung in here with us for L. Ron Hubbard. Yep. And if uh, again, if you're a fan of the podcast, please uh, rate and review and subscribe and all that beautiful stuff. All that jazz. Yeah. And um, with that, rule number one. No Ouija boards. Number two. No dolls. Three. No capes. Four. No blood rituals. Five. No cults, satanic or otherwise, and you don't need to pay billions of dollars to go up a bridge to be declared quote-unquote clear. It's fucking stupid. Number six. No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in this world. Put your shopping cart away. Clean up your dog poop. Yeah. Shovel your sidewalk. Help someone across the street. Yeah. That's how you change the world. It is. That's how you go clear. Doing simple little things like that. (laughs) The little things. Seven. Don't engage with black-eyed anything. No. If the eyes are all black. Eyes all black. Other way. Other way. Just About face. About face. Yep. Yeah. We're done here. And last but not least. Just listen. Yeah. Yeah. So have a, uh, a wonderful day. A lovely week. And make good choices. Take care.